All right, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We're actually in week two of, of our message entitled, or our series entitled, First You Pray. Um, and it's, I, I need to make a small correction. I was helped last week. I talked last week about where we kind of got the idea of the title for this uh, series. And I, I remembered basically uh, being in some type of a choir or something like that when I was a kid. And we sang a song about prayer. And one of the lines in the song was basically, first you pray. And, and Gordon came up to me afterwards and said, are you sure that you were right as far as your, 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 your memory? And I'm like, no, I think, you know, I think we've proven that that's starting to go quickly. Um, okay, that was not cool to laugh. Okay. Okay. We need to work on that, how to handle those situations. When I say something, you know, disparaging about myself, you know, you, you say, no, 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 no. Laughing basically says you're right, Aaron. So don't do that, okay? No, decent. Anyway, um, but Gordon reminded me, it was not in a, a, like a song as far as like a choir thing. It was actually a play that I was in. And he actually found basically the, the song and the lyrics and all this sort of stuff. So I got to relive a little bit of my childhood last week. So just so you know, it was from a play called Fat, Fat Jehoshaphat. So if you want to look that up, go f- feel free. I, I don't know if we would have that play today. So, but it was a lot of fun. I was, I was in that play. Um, it's a great story, by the way. But anyway, the whole idea of the song and the title was this concept of first you pray and first you pray. And sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we look and instead of praying first and doing those things, we do everything else besides prayer. And so this is an opportunity for us to kind of refocus, re-get our hearts back as far as what prayer needs to be and in our hearts and our lives over these next couple weeks. Our verse, kind of our theme verse for this series has been 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. 17 and 18. We talked about memorizing verse 17 last week, but here's what it says. It says, always be joyful. This is the one that we were really taking the time to memorize. It was very difficult, but we got it. 17, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I, I, I think it's interesting that Paul helps us, you know, we always talk about what God's will is for us and, and all those things, and that's great. But, but here's the thing, like in this scripture, God's telling us a little bit of what his will is for every single one of us. It's to be joyful. It's to never stop praying, and it's to be thankful in all circumstances. And so obviously we've been talking about this idea of never stop praying. Last week we, we talked about kind of what that means and what, what, what Paul was trying to get us to understand when it was this idea of never stop praying. We talked about this idea of literally what that means is to, to kind of bathe or, or just saturate our lives in prayer. We talked about that last week. We also talked about this idea, and we're going to talk about it next week as well, that, that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Amen. And we do that so often. I know I do. It's like we get excited or we start moving into something. And instead of basically stopping and saying, man, I, we should really pray about this. Instead, we just rush in and then we pray afterwards. Now, thankfully, God is so good. He's so faithful. that listen, even when we rush into things and, and, and we didn't pray first or we get things kind of, you know, over our head, God hears those prayers too. God responds to those prayers. God loves us enough to say, I'll help you in those things. But man, there's something different about praying first. There's something different that when first we pray, that can literally transform our lives. So today we're going to kind of continue in our series about prayer and some, some ideas I think that will help us in that and understand how prayer can be so effective and so important in our lives. 
As I was putting this message together, I, I kind of went and I was looking at statistics. I kind of enjoy statistics. And so I was looking at statistics and actually on prayer. And I was actually looking at for something totally different, but something caught my eye. And I was like, man, that's strange. Because I was looking about, you know, how often do Christians pray? How, you know, those types of questions. And, and listen, there's tons of, of surveys you can find on the internet that'll say 20%, 50%, 70%. And, and I was kind of looking for that. But I, I saw a particular study, particular survey, and one of the questions literally made me stop. It literally made me like, wait a minute, this was not where I'm going, but maybe this is where we need to go. As we kind of talk about these things. And what it was, was a simple question. It was going through all the things, you know, how much people pray and all that sort of stuff. But this question was interesting. The question was not how much you pray. It wasn't how often you pray or, or, or how long you pray. It was simply this. It was how many Christians, or basically people surveyed, liked to pray. And I'd never heard that question before. And I thought, man, that is interesting. Liked to pray. Because I'm like, you know, I, I like to talk to my wife. I like to talk to you guys. We just experienced a time where you guys either are really, really good actors and actresses or you like to talk with each other. The answer was 10%. 10% of the people surveyed. Now, again, I know, I know you can go on the internet, you can find 10% of people that believe the moon's made out of cheese, okay? But at the same time, I was like, that stopped me. And I went, God... Is that what you would desire for your people? I mean, I don't think, I think God likes it when we pray. I think God loves it when he's with us and we are drawn near to him. And it was interesting that 10% like to pray. And I began to like, go, oh God, why is that? What's, what's going on here? What, what needs to change in, in the way we understand prayer and, and apply it to our lives? And, and, and I've always learned and, and understood this, and I believe this is true, that you know, prayer is a discipline. We talked about that before. I, we, I've preached messages where we've talked about Christian disciplines, and, and fasting is one of those, and, and prayer is one of those, and all these things. But I think we have a problem in our churches and in our, in our world today when it comes to a lot of Christians, and that is that I think that prayer has started as a discipline and has stayed a discipline. Let me explain to you what I mean, okay? Let me explain to you and help maybe give you an idea. Now, I don't like this, but I know many of you do. I like this more when it's hot outside, okay? But many of you like ice cream, okay? I like ice cream too, but a lot of you like ice cream. Now, like I said, I'm one of those guys that are like, if it's hot, yes, I want ice cream. If it's cold, I don't eat ice cream very often, okay? Because it makes me cold. And I'm already cold, I don't need more help, okay? But some of you love ice cream. You will eat ice cream every day if you can. Here's what I mean by that. Okay, here's what I want you to understand. It is not a discipline for you to eat ice cream. It is a desire. It is a want. It is an enjoyment. Okay? It's not the same. Ice cream eating for the majority of us is not a discipline. We enjoy doing it. Listen, I put this in your notes. I want us to get this. Prayer starts as a discipline. As we understand more about prayer and God, and as we build a relationship with him, prayer moves away from being a discipline and into something we desire. Right. 
ice cream for a lot of people is not, it, listen, you don't have to, okay, you don't have to basically, you know, say to somebody, listen, you've got to eat ice cream. You have no choice. You must eat ice cream. And there's not a lot of people, unless maybe they're lactose intolerant, that they're going to sit there and go, oh, no, I hate eating ice cream. This is miserable. Can I have the whole cart? You know, that's not what people do. But for prayer, a lot of people have never progressed from discipline into desire. And listen, I believe that if we as believers can transform our hearts and our lives in a way we act and the way we pray by allowing the discipline to turn into a desire, it can literally revolutionize our walk with Jesus. Okay? We talk about loving God. Listen, loving God is not a discipline, it's a desire. And that's what God wants us to move to. He wants us to get away from this, just simply a discipline of prayer, which it starts at and is important. Please understand me. But here's what I found. When it moves from uh, uh, discipline into desire, you're going to do it just as much, if not more, than when it was simply a discipline. Okay? And God wants to move us in that way. I want us to look today at some ways that we can do that. And I believe Jesus kind of helps us to see some of this in, in a verse that maybe you wouldn't consider to be a verse that would kind of help us see this. But I believe this is very important that we get this. So we're going to open up our Bibles, if you have them, to John 15. In John 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he shares some verses that are some of the most difficult for us to grasp and to do, okay? Even though it seems simple, it becomes interestingly difficult at times. And I believe one of the ways we do this is we allow prayer to be a part of our hearts and our lives, not just as a discipline, but also as a desire. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen, John 15, 4 through 5. This is what Jesus says. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Some other translations use the word abide, but it's that same concept. Remain in me as I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, okay? One of the tools that God has given us to help us abide or remain in him is prayer. And when we begin to move away from prayer, we begin to have a life that is beginning to be separated from the vine. And that's one of those things that we sometimes miss. We hear those words. Many of us have heard them before or had people speak on them before, which is great. But a lot of times it's like, okay, now how do I remain? How do I keep myself in this situation that I can be fruitful? Because here's what tends to happen. I've seen it over and over and over again. We go to people and we say, hey, listen, we, you know, we, we, we tell them about Jesus and all these sort of things. Maybe they come to church or whatever. They, they think, and, and they have this kind of this attitude that's, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to see how it goes. It's like they basically, you know, instead of buying the car, quote unquote, they go to the rental place and they decide to take Jesus for a spin. So they go and they say, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. So, so, so maybe they pray over their food, but that's about it. 
during that, this tryout period. Maybe they go to church when nothing else is really going on. Okay? You know, they read their word yeah, maybe every once in a while. Okay? Do they pray? Maybe when they're in trouble. And then after six months or after two months or after a couple years, they come and they say, you know what? This didn't work. You said this would change my life. You said that everything would be different and nothing changed. Everything's the same. I'm out. You know what's interesting? That's not what Jesus promised. Jesus didn't promise that. In fact, he promised the opposite. Listen to what he says here. He says, listen, if you will remain in me, you will become basically fruitful. Where does that fruit express itself? It expresses itself in how we live our lives. It expresses itself in relationships. It expresses itself in so many areas. When we abide in him, when we remain in him, we become extremely fruitful in every area of our lives. Not because of who we are, but because we are remaining and abiding in him. But the other side of that coin is this. He says, if you do not abide, if you do not remain, you will experience nothing. You get that? Nothing. In one hand, when we abide, we see fruit and fruit and fruit and fruit. But when we choose to not abide, what our lives produce is basically nothing. Nothing. And what tends to happen is we don't like that. We want to be able to kind of abide when we want and not abide when we want. And then we're shocked that when we live that way, we have nothing. God doesn't want that. God wants us to abide because he wants us to be fruitful. He wants these things to happen in our hearts and our lives. And look, there are many, many ways that we can remain and abide. But we are talking about prayer. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can abide in the vine to be with Jesus is to have a very close, very special, very powerful prayer life. Okay? If we're not communicating with our Father, if we're not communicating in that way, we are going to be distant from Him. Just like we would be distant from anyone else. Now, here's what's great about our Father, okay? Because you know, a lot of times people go, oh man, I'm not praying as much as I should, or I'm not. Listen, here's how this Have you ever met somebody, you ever had somebody in your life that it's like, man, you could see them every day and have something to talk about every day? Or basically, it's like, hey, I haven't seen this person for 10 years. And you walk in and they walk in and it's like, you never even left it, the conversation, you know? I love those relationships, those are awesome. You know, God is even greater in that area. So if you say, Aaron, you know, I'm not praying as much as I should. Listen, listen, it's, it's, it, God's going to welcome you home. Okay? Okay, you do, do, do not, listen, we, we, do not listen to the lies of the enemy. They say, well, you, you haven't prayed enough. You haven't, blah, 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 blah. God's, you know, it's going to be awkward. It's not. God's going to welcome you home. And he's going to say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you came and you are abiding in me. And so with the idea of that, with that concept, especially with prayer, this morning really what I want to talk about is three ways prayer can help us to remain. Okay? Three ways that prayer can help us to remain. Number one, we have to, we should make prayer a priority. Okay? Listen to me. 
I, I get it, I get it, I get it. I've said it before, you know, oh, why does he keep talking so much about prayer? And why does he keep talking so much about reading the Bible? Because if it's not a priority in your life, you are going to miss some things, okay? Listen, I will make you a promise. Ready? Here's my promise. When we all, everybody in our family, that's all of us, people online, when we have all made prayer and Bible reading a priority, in our lives, I'll stop harping on it. I promise. But here, here, here's the problem. Okay, everybody hear me? It's not always a priority in my life either. So I'm going to keep harping on it. Why? Because it's so important. And here's what's also awesome about it. I don't care where you are in your prayer life. God's like, I want to take you higher. I want to take you in a deeper place. I want to explain more and more of who I am to you. So it doesn't matter where you're at. There's always more. There's always more. We've got to make it a priority. Because listen, listen, I believe very strongly that there's times that are coming that are not going to be easy. And now is the time to make it a habit. Now is a time to make it a priority. I'm always, when I think about prayer and priority, I always think about Daniel. Okay, I know it's a great story, a flannel board story, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. And we've known this and we've heard this and, and obviously Daniel is in a, in a very powerful position and there's some jealous people. And so they go to the king and basically convince him and fool him into basically saying, hey, nobody can pray to anybody else but you. They pass it into a law. They say, if anybody does, during this time, he's thrown, of course, into the lion's den. We all know this story, but listen to what it says. Daniel 6, 10 and 11. It says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, that's very important, okay? So he knows what's happening. So he, at this point, he now knows it is, it is law. He knows the consequences. He knows what has happened. He is aware. The law has been signed. He went home and knelt down as usual, isn't that interesting? As usual, in his upstairs room with its windows open to Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Okay, you know what? Listen, if you, if you, I, I tell you this, do this every once in a while. If you get a Bible or, you know, paper one or the electronic one, and you can highlight, highlight the word usual usual. You know why? Because Daniel didn't do this. He didn't make this a habit. He didn't make this a priority after the law had been signed. It was already a part of his life. Listen, I'm telling you right now, things are not going to be easy as easy as they are right now in our world. And when they come, listen, if you have not already made prayer a priority, you're going to have a very hard time doing it when persecution comes. Listen, it's in your notes. Daniel had already established the priority of prayer in his life. So even when the threat of persecution came, he continued as he always had. Why is this so important right now? Because this is where it's easy, folks. I'll be honest with you. It's not always going to be as easy. And so we do it now. We make it a priority now. We do it now so that we allow those things, even if persecution comes. Hey, listen, you go, well, maybe persecution won't come. Well, that would be awesome. That would be great. That's not what Scripture says, but that would be great. It's still a good idea 
to make it a priority in your life. For some of you, listen, you're busy and I get that. I'm busy too. Some of you, you need, to, you need to schedule a prayer time if that's what's necessary. Get it in your books. Get it in your calendar. You know, somebody calls up and says, hey, uh, I need you to do this. I'm sorry, I have an appointment. And keep it. It's a priority. It's got to be a priority. It's got to be a priority. Listen, I make it a priority, and I hope you do too, to spend time and communicate with those in your life that you love. And that's a good thing. If you don't, please start. But I believe most of us do that. And listen, no matter how great and wonderful those people are in our lives, none of them are God. And if I'm, listen, hear me here. If I'm going to make time for my wife and my son, which I should, how much more should I make time for God? Come on. How much more? So make it a priority. Number two. Number two, to to help us remain. You should be willing to grow in prayer. Okay? Some of you, unfortunately, some of us sometimes in our lives, we get a little stagnant in our prayer life. Okay? And like I said earlier, the great thing about prayer, the great thing about what God wants to do in our prayer life is he wants to take us to another level. He wants to help us to grow in that. We talked a little bit about this last week, but look, look again here in Luke 11, 1 and 2. Again, we mentioned this last week, but listen to what it says. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said, this is how you should pray. I know we covered this a little bit last week, but I wanted to kind of bring it up again. Remember, these guys were guys that knew, quote unquote, how to pray. Okay? They prayed and they prayed a lot. They quote unquote knew how to pray. But the thing was, they saw something different in the way Jesus prayed. They looked and saw something that was different in Jesus' life. Here, let me help you explain this to you. Jesus had a deeper prayer relationship or deeper prayer life than his disciples had. And his disciples wanted that. And so what do they say? They say, teach us to pray. These guys that prayed a lot, these guys that had memorized probably hundreds of hundreds of prayers that had been praying since they were that tall, looked at Jesus and said, listen, I need to grow in this. I'm not comfortable, I'm not, or not, excuse me, I'm not satisfied with where I am in prayer. I've had people come to me, I don't know how to pray, or I don't pray like this, or I don't pray like that. Listen, first of all, you don't have to pray like anybody else. You pray how God wants you to pray. But here's what I would say. If you don't like where you're at in your prayer life, that's not have a pity party, sit on your rear end and do nothing about it. That's going, okay, God, teach me how to pray. Help me to understand. Listen, I've seen it over and over again. I even put it in your notes because I wanted you to get this. We can put so much guilt on ourselves because we think we should just magically know how to pray. However, The disciples didn't know either. So they asked, being willing to learn. Okay, look, this is Luke 11. They had been with Jesus for a little while now. I love that the disciples in this moment didn't think they knew it all. 
didn't expect themselves to know it all. Instead, they went to their Lord and said, Teacher, teach me. Teach me. Listen, you want to talk about one of the greatest prayers you can pray? It's when we go to the Lord and we say, Jesus, will you just teach me? Help me to understand what you're saying in your word. Help me to pray in a more effective way. Help my prayers to be more closely knitted to your heart. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. You know, listen, I, I, how many times have we said, oh, you know, or you're doing an interview, you know, with somebody. You want to be this or that or whatever else. And what does everybody always want to say? Well, I'm very teachable. And that's great. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. But some reason we step into church and we think we got to know it all. I love that Paul says, hey, listen, there are mysteries that we're not going to always understand. Now, he didn't say, look at the mysteries and go, wow, look, a mystery, don't try to figure it out. Don't let God illuminate those things to you. But he admitted that there's things he doesn't know. There are times where people come to me and they ask me questions. And I do, I literally look at them and I say, even before you ask, listen, I get, I, I get this, uh, this option. Are you ready? And they say, what's that? I said, I get the option of saying, I don't know. I don't know it all. I want to learn. And I think we need to learn. Listen, if you say, Aaron, I, I don't always know how to pray. I don't even know sometimes what prayer is supposed to be. Listen, that's okay. It's okay. What's not okay is to stay there. What's not okay is not to go, okay, Lord, teach me to pray. We give you a template. And obviously in this portion of scripture, Jesus gives us that template that, that you know, a lot of people call it the Lord's Prayer. We, I kind of like to call it the Disciples' Prayer. We talked about that last week. It's one way that we can learn. Don't be afraid to learn. Listen, in your spiritual walk, can I, let me, we, we have this life and God wants us to grow and learn about who God is, Okay. And if you think that when you're dead and you get your glorified body and glorified mind, that you're going to know all about God, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. I truly believe one of the greatest things about eternity is we're going to continue to learn about God. It's not going to stop because God is so awesome and so big. One of the great things that we're going to get to do throughout eternity is learn more and more and more and more and more about him. I can't wait. I can't wait. Because like there's times where I'm like, God, I, I want to know more. I want to know more. And it's like my mind can't handle it. Or I get physically tired. I mean, God's going to express himself throughout eternity to us. Let's learn. Let's start now. Let's experience him now and know that there's just more and more that God wants to do. It's one way that we abide. Because we say, you know what? If I'm not a part of the branch, if I go off over here, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna miss my lesson that God wants to teach me today. And so we stay close. We stay close. The last one, and I'm gonna be honest with you, this one I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about because I really want to explain this well. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm I, I, and it's going to be a little difficult, so, so I need you to stay with me, okay? Because I think this is really, really important. And I think some of you may get it immediately, and others just, just hang with me. Number three, we should better understand the Godhead 
in regards to prayer. Okay? Now let me, let me kind of explain to you what I'm getting at here. When I was a kid, and I think some of you remember this, um, obviously there was no DVRs, there were no, well, they, there were VCRs, thankfully, but no one knew how to program them, okay? If, if anyone ever comes to you as an older person and says, I had a VCR and was able to record on it, I'm sorry, the, the, the truth is not in them, okay? No one knew how to, okay? And, and, and so, so if you were going to watch them on TV, you had to do something crazy. You actually had to sit down and watch it on TV, Okay? And once a year, they would show different things throughout the year. And once a year, I remember, they would show The Wizard of Oz. Okay? <clears throat> once a year. And if you missed it, I'm sorry, you were done for the year. Okay? You had to wait till when, and I don't even remember when they used to show it, but I remember watching TV and then, you know, this Friday night, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. You know, and they were going to show it. Okay? And, and my, my mom has loved The Wizard of Oz as long as I can remember. And so we would always watch The Wizard of Oz. And I remember as a child, younger, I enjoyed The Wizard of Oz until they got to Oz, okay? And I don't know if you know the movie, I don't know if you've you know, read the book, but basically, let me kind of give you an idea, Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, all go in to see the great and powerful Oz, okay? So they walk in, and there's flames, and there's smoke. And there's just this voice, and they come in, and they're just they're they're just in fear of this. There's this big green head. Like, oh, nice, nice choice. And they come up, and it's it's silence, and and they just quake. He finally says, "I'll do this, but you have to do something for me first. And I believe very strongly that there are some of us who feel like when we go in to pray, we're literally walking into the presence of the great and powerful Oz. And there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's anger, and there's, yes, I will do what you want, or I will possibly um, you know, hear your request, but you have to do this for me first before I will ever do what you ask. And this morning, what I want to do to close this out, to help us remain, is I want to help you absolutely destroy. And I don't mean like semi-destroy. I want you to destroy that view of the Godhead because that is not who our God is. Okay? Now listen, hear me here. Okay? There, you, know, you go back to the Old Testament, you look at Mount Sinai, and you know what? There's lightning and there's smoke and there's all those things. But just like in our community groups that we're studying right now, when God expresses who he is, it is gracious. It is loving kindness. It is faithfulness. That's who our God is. And now, because of what the Godhead has done, we have a completely different understanding of who our God is. And I want you to see that this morning. I believe that if we can understand this, it can revolutionize our prayer life and our life with God in general. So look at this. I want you to see this. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul in his second letter, he closes out. This is kind of the benediction. And listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 13 and 14. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, the love of God, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul is closing his letter. This is the second letter to the church in Corinth. This is his closing prayer. This is his closing of the letter. This is his closing thing. He's going, this is what I want. This is what God can do. I want you to see this also in the paraphrase version of the message version. This is what it says. It says, the amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So I want to break these down, each of these, and look at these to help us to understand who the Godhead is, and how we approach them when it comes to prayer. So let's start with the first one. The first one, of course, is the amazing grace of Jesus. The amazing grace of Jesus. Look, look at this with me, Romans 8, 34. In Romans 8, 34, it says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one. Christ Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So what's this telling us? What are we seeing here? Now, first of all, we have to look at this whole picture, this idea of the grace of Jesus, this idea of amazing grace when he came and he died for you and me, made a way where there was no way. Obviously, after he dies, he walks around for about 40 days showing people who he is, and then Jesus ascends into heaven, and now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for you and me. Now, that's great. That's amazing. What does that mean? It basically means that the amazing grace of Jesus is so big and so great that he didn't just stop with his death and resurrection. He is continuing to shower us with mercy, grace, and love in the way that he intercedes for us. Listen, you ever thought about this? Why couldn't have Jesus just simply have come, lived about 30 days on earth, died, rose again, and then gone up to heaven and been done with the whole thing? Why? Why? Here's why. There's prophecy, yes, but there's something else. There's something else. Jesus understood that although the death, resurrection for our sins, for our salvation was massively huge, that he wanted to continue to do some great things for us in our hearts and our lives. So now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, but he's interceding in a very interesting way. Here's what I mean. Look at Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, this is what it says. For we do not have a high priest, that's meaning Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Once again, underline the word sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that way we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let me explain to you what the writer of Hebrews is helping us to see here. Jesus is, we know where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding. He is our high priest in a lot of ways in that way. But let me give you a real simple illustration of kind of what I believe that looks like. Okay? Remember that word sympathize. I'm down on my knees. I'm upset. I'm praying to God. You know why I'm praying? I'm praying because I feel betrayed. There was someone I trust, and they betrayed me. And I'm calling out to my God, and I'm calling out and saying, Father, God, I, I, feel, I feel betrayed. I feel hurt. I can't believe I, I, I trusted that individual, and they, they did this, and they hurt me. 
And you know what I believe is happening? I believe Jesus is there with the Father and he's hearing that prayer. And I believe what we see in this idea of, of intercession, this idea of interceding for us, and this is just how I've always seen it, okay? This is not real, like, real, you know, spiritual sounding, but I just feel like this is, this is how it's made sense in my mind. Is I look, Jesus looks up at his Father and he says, Father, you see Aaron down there? And his Father says, yeah, of course. He goes, he's praying. He's praying, Father, because he feels betrayed. And Father... I was betrayed too. I know how that feels. We need to minister to him. We need to be there for him. We need to let him know that although sometimes men and women can betray him, that we will never betray him. And, his fa- and the father says, you are, yes, yes. And he begins to pour those things out. You see, it's one thing to have someone who knows how you feel. It's another thing to basically have somebody that's like, oh, well, I I bet that kind of stinks. I'm sorry. But Jesus can sympathize. His grace is so massive. His love and mercy is so big. He says, I get it. I understand you. Listen, there is nothing you've experienced in your life. There's nothing that you won't, that you will experience in your life that Jesus can't sympathize with you because he felt it all. He felt it all. And so when we walk in, it's why we can walk in with confidence. It's why we can walk in because obviously we've been made new. Obviously we have grace. But there's something great about walking in and going, my Jesus knows how I feel. He knows what it feels like to have those emotions and to go through those things. And he will help me to experience the greatness and the grace and the mercy of God. It's an amazing thing. The confidence that we have comes from many things obviously salvation obviously what's happened but I believe there is confidence that we have because we know our Jesus can sympathize with our weakness and make an impact so we can walk in with that confidence number two the extravagant love of God the extravagant I love that word I don't use that word very often But when I do, there's some power behind it. It is massive. There is the extravagant love of God. We sing about it. We talk about it. But listen to what it says in Psalms 103. Psalms 103, 8 through 13. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Verse 11. For His unfailing love towards those who fear Him is as great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Remember, we've talked about this. That idea of fear is not fear cowering fear. It's awe, it's reverence, it's worship. That, listen, that is not the powerful Oz, is it? That's how God is wanting you to understand who he is. Tender. 
you ever, you ever, you ever see a new baby, new moon baby with a, with a brand new mom or dad? You ever seen that? Maybe you've experienced it. I remember when I experienced it, I was scared to death. I'm going to drop him, hold the head up, uh, you know, I, I mean, and I will say, I am not necessarily what I would consider a tender person. I'm not always warm and fuzzy. But I bet you anything, if somebody had snapped a picture with me holding my son for the first time, tender would probably have been a word that they could have used. It was just such a tender, compassionate moment. Listen, God is wanting to reveal himself to you, not as this angry, fiery, lightning bolt thing, but as a father who compassionately and tenderly picks you up and holds you close. It's who he is. It's who he is. And some of us, we walk into his presence scared to death. I mean, even in this verse. Yeah, we've messed up. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And even in the verse, even in this psalm, he says we don't get what we deserve. Thankfully, we don't get what we deserve. And we deserve what we deserve. But our God, in his compassion and his love and his sacrifice of giving his son for us, our sins are separated as far as from the east is from the west. That's who our God is. The extravagant love of God. Number three, the last one. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the deal. I've been around enough. You know, it's like God would get, Holy, you know, the God would get, you know, Jesus we get. But sometimes the Holy Spirit can kind of be like, you know, oh, I don't know about this guy, you know. Like what's going on here? And, and I love that Jesus in John, when he says, listen, I'm going to go. Jesus understood he was going back to the Father. But he said, listen, I'm going to send somebody to you to help you, to be with you, to walk with you, to live in you. And, and he literally says in John, he says, it's better that I go away. I mean, that's amazing to think about. And especially when you realize the context of who he is speaking to. He is speaking to people that he has walked with for three years, roughly. Like, they have been with Jesus all the time. They have had the most unbelievable opportunity to, to like, like, think about it. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, they, they saw blind men be, be able to see. They saw cripples. Be, I mean, this is, they had a front row seat. And what's Jesus' response? It's better that I'm gone. But yet for us... We forget that. We forget what the Holy Spirit has come to do and has come to make a difference in our heart and life. Listen to what Jesus says. This is John 14, uh, 16, and then we'll jump to 26. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and listen, to be with you forever. Look at now, go to 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, your, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
So Paul, in his letter, he's talking about the amazing grace of Jesus, the extravagant love of God, and the friendship, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. To know that we have someone with us that's walking with us, that's helping us, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that he teaches us, that he, convic uh, that he convicts us, that he guides us, that he empowers us. Listen, we're never alone because the Holy Spirit's with us. The Holy Spirit dwells with us. And it says he'll be with us forever. So we not only have an understanding of God the Father and Jesus, but we have this intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. You're never alone. You never walk through anything alone because he's with you. He's right there with us, helping us and teaching us and helping us to know and to remember all that Jesus has said. Some of us forget that. Some of us misunderstand that. And for some of us, we need to have a deeper friendship with the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, the Godhead, three in one. Each part distinctive, but yet all together. Paul calls it a mystery, and sometimes trying to explain it can be. It's hard sometimes to get it. But the bottom line is this. Each one is distinctive. Each one is God, and each one, when we approach him in our prayers, each one can bring another level of great intimacy in our prayer life. And each has a part to play and wants to play in how we pray. And each, when we can begin to understand the grace of Jesus, when we can begin to understand the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit, in that we begin to grow, in that we begin to say, I never want to leave the abiding presence of Jesus. I always want to be close. And here's what's great. Because it's three in one, those titles are also somewhat interchangeable. So you can talk about the grace of God, the friendship of God. You can talk about the friendship of Jesus or, or the extravagant love of the Holy Spirit. And so what does God do? He begins to build and build and build as we begin to understand more of who he is and what he wants to do in our hearts and our lives. Can you do me a favor? Let's bow our heads. Let's close. Thank you, Lord. Abiding seems so simple, but at least for me, maybe it's easier for you, I, I tend to wander a little bit. I, 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 I don't know about you, but I tend to wander when things are going well. And, and so I kind of think, okay, I'm okay, I got this. I, maybe I don't need to pray quite as much. I don't need to spend so much time in my word and and, and that's just not the right response, guys. Obviously, it's not. But more than that, and we talked about this at the beginning, I want to kind of circle back to it. I believe that God wants to help us to see and, and really begin this process, if we haven't yet experienced it, to move prayer from the discipline to the desire. And that desire can be because we want to remain in, in Jesus. It's because... 
but, but I, I'll just, I can only speak for me. I can't speak for anybody else, but I can only speak for me. But I, I do know that there have been times in my life where I didn't pray first. And I ran off and I, I, maybe I was trying to do something good or great for God. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't always have to be something bad. But I've just basically, in my hurry or in my life or in my actions, I, I got disconnected from the vine. And I don't know if you know this, but um, I spend a lot of time in this room praying. Um, you know, I, I, we're going to have to eventually replace the carpet in here because I circle in here. I, I, I probably show you on my watch, but there's going to be a rut pretty soon. And I don't know how many times I've been busy, I've been working on a message or this or that, and I just, I come in here and I come into this room and I just begin to pray. Not because I have to, not because I need to check it off my box, not because it's expected of me because I'm, because I just need to be close to my father. And I'm going to speak again just for me. And God responds and all those things. But some of the most intimate, important times of prayer I've ever had has not been because I needed to check a box off. It's because I had a deep longing desire to just be with my Lord. And I'll be honest with you. If we can move from discipline to desire, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. And prayer keeps us involved. It keeps us abiding in Him. And then the fruit comes. But when we separate, nothing. Nothing. And we talked about it last week. Prayer is just such an unbelievable thing that that a child can do it, and do it effectively, by the way. And yet you can have somebody that's saved for 100 years and growing in Christ that entire time, and, and you really can't look at them and say they've mastered it. There's always another level. There's always another depth to get to. So if you say, you know, Aaron, I'm not a good prayer. I don't pray well. I don't understand, or I don't pray a lot. It's okay. You can start today. And for you, yeah, maybe it needs to start as a discipline, and that's okay. That's all right. Let's get that discipline down. Let's make it a priority like Daniel. And for others, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to begin that process of moving away from discipline into desire. Maybe it's time to have that moment where it's like, man just can't wait to be with my Jesus. And yeah, you know, right now I'm, I'm at work and I got to focus here and, and God, you're going to help me in my work. But you know what, man, when I get in that car and I turn on that key and I just start, you know, it's just like, Lord, I just, I just can't wait to be around you. I just can't be, I just, I know you're always with me, but you know, there's just something special about just now it's me and you time, God. There's something powerful about that. And that, listen, 
that desire comes from a desire. It doesn't come from prayer perfection. You get what I mean? It doesn't say it come from like, well, I got to pray all the right things all the time. Yeah, Jesus gave us a template, and we should use that template. But at the same time, at the same time, it needs to become a desire in our hearts, a desire to be close, a desire to abide, a desire to bring forth much fruit. So I want to ask you a simple question. Simple question, easy answer if you're honest. Where are you at on that spectrum? For some of you, you may say, you know what, I, I, I really don't pray unless, you know, something really bad happens. You know what, and here's the deal. Like I talked about earlier, God hears those prayers. For some of you, you're doing a pretty good job. Like, like you've, you've made it a discipline, and that's awesome. Good job. I'm proud of you. That's wonderful. It's great. But I believe God has something more. One thing that's really awesome about our Jesus is he's always got more pressed down, shaken together, oh, get it, running over more, 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 more. And maybe for you, God wants to move you from the discipline of prayer into a deep desire for prayer, a, a longing for prayer a longing to be close to him. And maybe for some of you, you're already there. You're, man, you desire. And for you, it's like God's like, oh boy, there's still more. <laughs> there's still more. So wherever we're at, God wants to move us forward in him. Not stagnant, forward more in him. So that we can produce even more fruit for him. Father, we come to you right now. And God, we're so thankful. Jesus, I am so thankful that you are not lightning bolts. I mean, yeah, you're powerful. Yeah, you are all powerful. You are strong and mighty. You are justice. And mercy. And Father, you have chosen to reveal yourself in a very simple way. A verse that so many of us have memorized, but so many of us have forgotten the importance of. The verse that so many people connect with even the idea of Christianity. That God, you so loved the world that you gave your only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have an everlasting life. Even in that, God, your extravagant love, your mercy, your grace, your fatherhood and adoption to us your friendship has been expressed. And so, Father, we just, we ask, no matter where we are on the spectrum of prayer, that you'd help us to grow. That, God, if we haven't prayed in 15 years, that today would be a new start. That we would come boldly 
and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm here. I'm ready to start the discipline of prayer. For those of us that have already started that discipline, that you would move us into more of a desire for prayer than we've ever had before. And for those of us that are already in that desiring place, that God, you just make it greater and greater and greater. Father, we love you. And God, obviously, this message is very simple in a lot of ways. But God, there is something profoundly important in the basics that you desire for us to experience with you. So change us all. Make us all pray more like you. Change our hearts in this way. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much for being here this morning. A couple of real quick reminders. Remember the sign-up sheet out there for the potluck. Ladies, there's the book club. Um, There's a lot coming up in our community groups for this weekend. Again, thank you guys so much for being here. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We're hoping that you're doing well. We're looking forward to seeing you soon, hopefully. Hope you have a great week. And for all of you, I hope you have a great week too. Allow this week to really be a week that you really start that process with your prayer life. I really think it'll change every part of your life. So remember, first you pray, and then we'll go from there. All right? Awesome. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.